Good morning, Redemption Church. How is everybody? Y'all good? I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope you had a restful weekend and ate a lot of food and spent some time with family. I know I ate stuffing four times this week, and it was fantastic. I love Thanksgiving. It's great. And guys, I just want to say this morning that I'm thankful that you guys are here. That's one of the things that us as elders from Carter, from Michael, and myself, guys, we are thankful for you guys, and we are thankful that you are here. Whether you're here in person or you're here online, we are thankful for you guys. And so uh, my name is Jacob. If you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at Redemption Church, and I get the pleasure of bringing the message this morning And if you want to go ahead and flip to Psalm 150, that's where we're going to be this morning. It's the last book in the Psalms. And so you can go ahead and and turn there. Last week, we started a mini-series called Deep Dependent Worship. And Carter walked us through Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And we came to the conclusion that worship is more than music. Worship is everything. Worship is our whole being, Worship is whatever we set our lives on, and worship affects how we live. And what we worship could be anything, but we concluded that Jesus is worth our worship. He is worth our whole lives. And this week, we're going to talk about, and, and, and not to confuse anybody, because last week the point was worship is more than singing. This week, we are talking about worship is singing. And if you're like me, you have an analytical mind, you're just like, that doesn't make sense. Because worship cannot be not singing and be singing at the same time. Those contradict each other. And, and that's true. That is true. But what we are saying is that while worship is more than just singing, it involves singing as well. Kind of like singing happy birthday doesn't make it my birthday, right? I can sing happy birthday as many times as I want to, but presents still only come once a year, right? Which my birthday is May 27th, if anybody's feeling generous. You're welcome to give me something. And while singing doesn't make it my birthday, most of the time there is singing of some sorts on your birthday, right? You have that obnoxious friend who has to sing you happy birthday. Singing happy birthday is part of the birthday celebration. And likewise, singing is part of our worship but it is not what worship is in itself. Singing comes out of our our response. It's a response to our worship. We sing about what we love. And so we're going to look at worshiping God through singing today. And singing is a big piece of who we are as people. I'm sure if I asked each person in this room right now to shout out their favorite song, most of you could do it without even a second thought. You just would shout it out. A lot of us can probably recall that that song that we dance to as a teenager that just brings such joy to our lives when we hear it on the radio. You know, mine's Backstreet's Back by Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Sorry, NSYNC fans. Or, you know, some of us even have that song that helped us through a tough time, you know, that breakup with that girl or that boy. Or maybe it was something even tougher like your parents going through a, a, through a divorce. Or maybe some of you even have some music or or songs that helped you get through something later in life, like your own divorce. Music is a part of us. And if that didn't prove it to you, let me give you some facts, okay? In the U.S. alone, 
More than one trillion songs are streamed on demand every year. In the U.S. alone, more than one trillion, okay, are streamed. And that doesn't include radio or the crazy people who still listen to CDs, which that's me, by the way. So if that's you, no judgment. In total, there are over 80 million Americans who use a premium streaming service to listen to music. That means over 80 million people pay money to listen to music. You know, we talked about a couple, year, or a couple weeks ago, where your treasure is, there your heart is. 80 million people pay to listen to music. The average person spends over 20 hours a week listening to music. That's about 12% of your week on average that a person listens to music. And this is my favorite stat that I found on music, okay? 81% of people born between 1980 and 2000 like to sing in the shower <laughs> versus only 53% for the rest of the population. So that means out of, if this stat is true, one in two people sing in the shower. And if you're born between those 20 years, 80, it's four out of five. By a show of hands, who sings in the shower? Come on, raise it up. Don't be shy. I'm part of that 81%. So... Music or singing is a big part of us, whether we like to think about it or not. And, you know, some of us are more gifted, like the people who, who stand up here every week and sing and lead us in singing to God. But at some level, God has created each of us to sing, specifically to sing about his greatness. In God's word, there are over 400 mentions of singing in the Bible. In over 50 places, God commands his people to sing about his greatness. Psalm, the longest book of the Bible, is a collection of songs. Therefore, our main idea today is that we sing about what we love. And for our time this morning, we're going to walk through this song in Psalms. And I, I say song specifically because we read the Psalms, but when this was written, they would have sung it. This would not have been read, it would have been sung. This was a hymn before there were hymnals. Psalm 150 is a worship song. And it's a short song, but it's a song that holds deep meaning. The old time preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he had this to say about the passage. We have now reached the last summit of the mountain chain of Psalms. It raises high into the clear azure, and his brow is bathed in the sunlight of the eternal world of worship. It is a rapture. The poet prophet is full of inspiration and enthusiasm. He stays not to argue, to teach, to explain, but cries with burning words, praise him, praise him, praise the Lord. And today, my prayer is that like the Psalms, is not to teach or to argue or to explain, but to praise. So let's pray together for our time, and then we'll walk through the passage, and I got a couple observations to make. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for you, we could do nothing. We were hopeless. Help us to see your greatness today and help us to turn what we see into praise because you are worth all our praise. In your name, amen. So Psalm 150 
verse 1. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. We're going to pause right there. The, the first thing that we see from this passage is, where do we sing his praises? Everywhere. The first part of verse 1 says that we are to praise him in his sanctuary. And, and we've got to ask, where is his sanctuary? Does he mean all of creation? Does he mean where God is in the heavens? Does, does he mean the Old Testament temple or a building? Or, or what does he mean here? And when the psalmist wrote this, he would have been looking at the Old Testament temple because that is where God dwelled in the Old Testament. Exodus 25, 8 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I, might, I may dwell in their midst. The temple is where the presence of the Lord was in the Old Testament. That is where all of Israel would come and worship God. This is where they'd come to serve God. This is where they would come to be in his presence. And of course, we look back now and we see that this is just a shadow of what was to come. The temple got destroyed, okay? And we don't make a pilgrimage to Israel to be in God's presence, and we don't because God's dwelling place is not in a building. God's dwelling place is wherever his people are. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And as we enter this Christmas season, remember that the Father sent his son Emmanuel to be God with us. And now when we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. God's presence is no longer in a building, it's in you. That's why Jesus promises to be with you no matter where you go. Take comfort in that this morning. Like Randy said a couple weeks ago, when we feel God is absent, we can know that he is present, because he dwells with us. So where do we sing God's praises? Everywhere. Wherever we are, God is there. Whether that is in the heavens, or that's on earth, whether that's here at church, or that's at home, even in the shower, we can praise him. And we praise him because he's worth it. He's deserving of praise everywhere. And why is he... Deserving of praise everywhere? I'm glad you guys asked that. You guys are a smart crowd. Let's keep reading. Verse 2 says, Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we know where we sing. We sing everywhere. So now I'll pose the question, what do we sing? We sing God's praises. Guys, God is a big God. There's nothing little about him. I mean, look at the language that the psalmist uses here. Mighty deeds, excellent greatness. That's strong language. The psalmist is describing who God is, excellent greatness, and what he has done, mighty deeds. And I want to take a, a few minutes and explore these two descriptions of God because this is the heart of the passage. This is why we praise. This is why we sing. Because God is great and mighty. And when we read things like this, it should cause us to stop and wonder, who is God? What has he done? And so we're going to do that. We're going to stop and look at some of God's 
mighty deeds and, and what makes him great. And this isn't an exhaustive list by any means necessary. This isn't even close. We don't have time to list all of who God is and what he has done. That would take all of eternity to do so. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts this. He says, his being is unlimited and his praise should correspond therewith. He possesses a multitude or a plentitude of greatness and therefore he should be greatly praised. There's nothing little about God. And there is nothing great apart from him. If we were always careful to make our worship fit and appropriate for our great Lord, how much better should we sing? How much more reverently should we adore? Such excellent deeds should have excellent praise. And so I'm going to cover some ground on who God is and what he has done. But it really, it doesn't even come close to what the Bible has to say. And so this is just a start. So let's buckle up, and here we go. One, God is creator. God created everything that we can see. He created the sun. He created the moon. He created the earth. He created everything in it, and he did it so with just a word. I mean, just think about that for a minute. With just a word, God created something like the sun. The sun is 864,000 miles in diameter. That's 109 times bigger than the earth. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on its surface and 27 million degrees Fahrenheit at its core. And our God made it with the word. He's powerful. He's creative. He made everything. He made more, more stars than any of us can count. And then he also knows the number of hairs on your head. That's greatness. God is sustainer. Job 34, 14, and 15 says this, if he, and this is God, if he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Y'all get that? <laughs> if God decided to withdraw his hand, we'd return to the dust in which we were made. Be encouraged. <laughs> that is both frightening and comforting, right? It is God who holds everything together, not us. You know, most days I get up by myself and I get myself ready and I drive myself to work. I work eight hours. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, and so many other things. And so many times I walk through those things forgetting that if it wasn't for God's sustaining hand, I could do none of it. I would return to the dust in which I was made. God holds life together, not me. He provides life. That's greatness. God is Father. For followers of Jesus, God is our loving Father. In, the Paul, in Paul's letters alone, he mentions over 40 times that God is Father. And in preparing this message, I, I really started thinking about this relationship between parent and child. And I don't know if if you realize this, but there is no decision by children to be brought into a family, okay? Like when me and Anne-Marie were, were deciding to have our first child, we didn't like call into the future, hey, Micah, you wanna be, <laughs> do you want to be made? Do you want to like be part of our family? And then, you know, we sat there and we listened and, and waited and for that, you know, him to answer back. No, right? 
It was mine and Anne Marie's. Hi, Bob. Sorry, my son is waving. Got me in the back. Hi. And it was our decision to make a child and to bring it into the family. It is the, the parent's decision to bring a, fam- a child into the family. And likewise, it was God that chose to bring us into his family. Look at John 15, verse 15, and then the first part of 16. And it says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. I chose you. Let that sink in this morning. If you ever are having feelings of loneliness, if you think God is absent, he's not. He's there. He chose you. God is the one that initiated the relationship with us. God is the one that sent Jesus to redeem a people back to himself. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are a beloved son or daughter of the God that made the universe. You are in the family of the God that sustains everything with his hand. And he was under no obligation to do any of it. He chose to. He chose you. That's greatness. God is Savior. When the psalmist wrote about God's mighty deeds, there were probably a lot of stories that were running through his head. But one that probably stood out more than most was the Passover. You know, as he penned this song, I imagine the Passover was probably running through his thoughts. And if you've been in church for a while, you've probably, you probably know the, the story of the Passover. But in case you don't, I want to spend a, a couple, a little bit reading about the Passover from Exodus 12. And this is going to be verses 1 through 13. And I know this is a little lengthy, but try to stay with me because I believe that this is important. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they ate it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and inner parts, And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. 
And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Guys, if you let the weight of that passage sit on you, it's pretty heavy, right? In one night, God passed judgment on the land of Egypt and killed every firstborn man and beast. And that's a heavy pill to swallow. But we also see the lengths in which God will go to save his people. If you go back to Exodus 1, you'll see that the Egyptians and the Israelites were coexisting and they were prospering. And a new Pharaoh came in and he saw how strong the Israelites were becoming and he was fearful. And so he plotted against them and made the Israelites their slaves. The Israelites were being persecuted in the worst of ways. In fact, we even see where this Pharaoh ordered that every, every male that was born to the Israelites were to be killed. And God could not let his people stay in that state. He had to save them because of who he is and because he loved them. Like the temple, this is just a shadow of what God had to come. We are all slaves to our own sin. Our state without Jesus is death. It's enslavement. Apart from God, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We are the Israelites. We're the ones in chains. We're the ones dying. We're the ones, or we cannot do enough to erase the bad, and there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves but God. God sent Jesus to be the lamb without blemish, to be slaughtered in our place. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to. He followed God's instructions completely. He loved God perfectly. He loved others perfectly. And at the end of his life, he willingly went to the cross, even though he knew instead of a lamb's blood that was going to be spilt, it was his blood that was spilt. Jesus chose you instead of his own life. And he did this so that when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the atoning blood of Jesus. It covers us. Jesus paid the price so that no plague will befall or destroy us on the day of judgment. And God will judge one day. And it will be either enslavement and death because of our sin or freedom in life because of the blood that saved us on the cross. The blood of Jesus is our Passover. And that's greatness. That's mighty. That's worth all the praise. And because of that, we sing everywhere and we sing God's praise. But now, who sings? We know where, we know what, but who sings? It's everyone. Let's finish out the rest of the chapter. Verse three through six says, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals, that everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The last verse clearly says that everything that breathes to praise the Lord. But even the verses that talk about the different instruments speaks to the kind of worship that our God wants. One commentary 
says this, the broad list of musical instruments tells us that God wants every class and group of people to praise him because these instruments were normally played by different types of people. The horn was the curved shofar, blown by the priests. Harp and psaltery were played by the Levites. Timbrels were struck by women as they were dancing. Playing on stringed instruments and pipes and cymbals were not reserved for the Levites. The psalmist is pointing out that God doesn't want worshipers of one type of people. God wants people of all races. He wants people that are rich and poor, young and old. He wants male and female. We are all created equally, but we all are different. Right? God has made each of us beautifully and wonderfully with different talents. We come from different backgrounds, different experiences. We come from different cultures. And in Revelation, we see that before the throne of God stand people of all tongues, all nations, all cultures, worshiping God. All followers of Christ will stand and sing praises to God. Together, unified under the banner of Christ, singing about the glories of our God. And what is great, guys, is that we don't have to wait for heaven. We get to experience that now. We get to reflect it now. We, when we gather and sing corporately, we are getting a foretaste of what that heavenly worship session will be around God's throne with his angels. Our worship and song reflects the creativity and beauty of our God. God created all people beautifully and wonderfully. Therefore, all styles of music are beautiful to him. I don't believe that in heaven, there'll just be one style of music singing to God. There'll be multitude of music sung to God, and it's going to be beautiful. So if you play drums, play them for, for God. If you play the piano, play it for God. If you like rap, rap for God. If you write songs, write them for God. If you can't sing, sing for God. God doesn't care if you can hit a note perfectly or not. You know, last week I was, I was sitting over here to my, to my left, y'all's right, about four rows from the back. And, and behind me last week in the second half of the service, I think it was one of the Stones girls was behind me. And, and she was just singing. She was doing some singing, if you know what I mean. I mean, she was just belting it at the top of her lungs. She was singing like no one else was in the room. She didn't care how it, about how it sounded. She was just singing to God. And that's beautiful to God. God cares about your heart and whether you praise him with your whole being, not how it sounds. So just sing. Everyone, everywhere, sing. And to end our time this morning, guys, I, I want to give some reasons I think God calls us to sing. Not just talk his, his praises, but, but to sing his praises. You know, a couple reasons why God mentions singing over 400 times and commands it over 50 different times in his, in his word. And these are not all the reasons by any stretch of imagination. These are, this is not all the reasons. But I think these are some, some good reasons for today. The first one is it helps us to remember 
We are a forgetful people. Singing about God and his mighty works helps us to remember them. Deuteronomy 31 verse 21 says this, and, and when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do even before I bring them into the land I promised them on, on oath. Singing songs of what God did for the Israelites helped them to remember. You know, it's, it's crazy how we can go 20 years without hearing a song, then it comes on the radio, and instantly we pick up the words. And not only do we remember the words to the songs, but some songs bring back memories, right? Like when Boys the Men comes on, it brings Jacob back to 1994 with baggy pants, okay? Music helps us to remember. When the circumstances of the world came upon the Israelites, they turned to music to prepare their hearts and their minds and their very souls. Music helped them to refocus their worship. Are we allowing music to do the same for our worship? And not only does it help us to remember what God has done, it also stirs our emotions. I was talking to Carter about this point uh, earlier in the week, and he told me that in the past, he has had multiple people come up to him and tell him that they skipped the music part of church because it just doesn't do anything for them. And maybe that's you. Maybe you skip the music. You come in late every week. Or maybe, maybe you don't skip it. You get here on time and you come in and maybe you stand, but you don't sing. Or maybe you come in, you stand, and maybe you sing, but you never go past simply singing. You don't allow God and his truths to pierce your heart and mind through song. The truth is music can move us and stir our emotions like not much else can, if we would let it. And that's where the rubber meets the road. About 12 years ago now, I was, I was at a church called Summit Church in the Raleigh-Durham area. And one Sunday I was listening to a campus pastor. His name was, was Spence. He was preaching that weekend. And I don't remember what the point of the sermon was, but I always remember a story he, he told about him, about him and another pastor that was on staff named Rodell. And these two guys, um, got into a spirited discussion over worship and through song. And, and Rodell was arguing the fact that every week he, he saw Spence and Spence just seemed so, so dry. He never raised his hands. He never got emotional. He, he never cried during the worship times at at church. And and Spence argued that he just wasn't an emotional person. That just wasn't who he was, you know? Nothing in his life got him riled up or emotional. And so therefore he didn't at church, he didn't raise his hands, he didn't get emotional. He didn't do any of those things. And after a couple of days of going back and forth, um, Rodell finally said, you know what, Spence, I'll accept that. I'll accept that if you are that way in every aspect of your life. And so Spence, wanting to be honest in his worship through song, said that during the next week, he he made it a point to take notice of how he reacted to different things in his life. 
And he said that day he went home and, and he walked through the door. He had a young daughter at that point. And, he, and his daughter ran up to him and wrapped her arms around him. And he said in that moment, he felt such joy. All the other things in the world didn't matter. Didn't matter how bad his day at work was. All that mattered was his relationship with his daughter. And he was overwhelmed with emotion. And he said that weekend, he was watching his favorite college team on TV. And every time they scored, he verbally said, yes. And if the other team scored, he was physically upset, smacking couch pillows, smacking the seat cushion, throwing them on the floor. You see, it wasn't that he, he never had emotions. It's that he didn't allow the songs at church to stir his emotions. And many of us are like that. I'm, I'm convinced that there are too many dry eyes in churches these days. We come in here and think about everything except the greatness of our God. And we don't sing about his greatness. In the song by Matt Papa, this changes everything. He put it like this. I grew up in a little town, used to sing in the old church house. There in the pew where I used to hide and learn the story about the man who died. Well, I was sure I heard that he got back up. But as we broke the bread and drank the cup, seemed the faces told another tale. They were dry as the bread was stale. Did I miss something? Was I not supposed to cry? Did they hear the preacher, Jesus is alive? If this is true, this changes everything. If this is real, I've got to tell the world. If he is God, then I've got a choice to make. If I believe, then I must follow him. Guys, if the gospel is true, then this changes everything. And this should cause us to sing, to praise. This is why, what we, this is why we do what we do on Sundays. We sing before the preaching of God's word to prepare our hearts for God's word. Then we sing in response afterwards to the preaching of God's word. Singing does something to tap into our hearts and stirs our emotions that others just don't. The psalmist got this. This song came out of his worship. He wrote and sung this because he loved God. He wanted to sing about God's praises everywhere with everyone. And I don't have a big application point coming out of this other than just to sing. Not because you have to, because it's out of response of who God is and what he has done for you. It flows out of our worship. And if you won't sing, it's a heart problem. Maybe you're too worried about the approval of others. I'd encourage you to look to the gospel this week. You have the approval of God because of Jesus. So belt away, just sing because we sing about what we love. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope that it was an encouragement to you. 
But you know, we don't see this as a replacement for gathering with other believers in a local church context. So if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to plug in with one wherever you are. And if you're in Roanoke, Virginia, we'd love to invite you to plug in with us here at Redemption Church. And you're welcome anytime to gather with us. But you can check us out online at our our website, redemptionroanoke.com. You can look for other content or resources there. But thanks again for listening.